you're a guest, we are thankful that you are here. It encourages us that you're here. If you would be opening your Bibles to Deuteronomy, we want to have slides tonight. That's on page 159 in the front of your Bible. And uh, we will be walking through several passages of this beautiful, beautiful book. We're thankful for Stephen and Caitlin and James that were baptized this past Wednesday night. We're thankful for Robin and C and their family that uh, are part of the fellowship here at the Mount Juliet congregation. We have so much uh, to be thankful for. God is really good to us. And uh, God blesses in a lot of ways. And there's someone with a blue car. It's a Ford. It's right out here on the creek side and has a flat tire. And if you'd like for that tire to be changed right now while it's still daylight, uh, our guys that uh, have monitored the parking lot would be glad to do that for you if you would like to have that done before it gets dark. And if not, they'll help you afterwards, I'm sure. It's good to be a part of a family that cares for each other. Deuteronomy is a beautiful, beautiful book. The name in Hebrew came from the very first phrase in the book. If you look at Deuteronomy, the first chapter in verse one, these are the words. That was the original name in the Hebrew of the book Deuteronomy. Of course, those words I just said to you would have been in Hebrew. Then when the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament came about, Deuteronomy was renamed. And the first part of that word means second. And the last part of that word means law. And it was the idea that this was the second law. And that's misleading to some because some then summarize, oh, so there was two laws. There was a law that Moses gave as he was beginning to lead the people out. And then as they wandered for 40 years and came back to the edge, ready to take conquest of the land, there was a second law that was given. That's not what is meant by the second law. It means that the law was reminded to them again. It was given to them again. That law was constantly be upon their minds. And really that is the theme in some aspects of this beautiful book of Deuteronomy. It's the idea to have God ever so present in our lives, that we fear him, that we reverence him, that we submit to him, that we obey him all of the time. And tonight, as we look through various passages, I want you to see how that is Moses' plea to the people. He does, as we mentioned this morning, spend a little bit of time looking back because he wants to remind this younger generation of Israel that is on the edge of the conquest what their elder generation failed to do. And that was to keep their faith in God. And because of that, they did not have the conquest of the land. But then there's a lot of time also spent in this great book of Deuteronomy to speak of the future. What is their relationship going to be with God and how would that affect their nation? He makes it very clear that they will not survive as a nation if they do not keep God's commandments. And so it is eloquent. It is beautiful. As a matter of fact, scholars say that that the writings that Moses gave in some of his speeches are unsurpassed in any of the writings of scripture, even surpassing some of the great writings of other writers of ancient times also. Deuteronomy is quoted in the New Testament directly 
40 times. The only two books that surpass that would be Psalm and Isaiah. And so it's definitely a book that not only touched the generation of its day, but it's also a book that powerfully touched even the New Testament. Because so much of what was said to them, writers of the New Covenant reached back and pulled from that. Just one example. You remember the temptation of Jesus? Do you remember how he would overcome Satan's temptation each time by quoting scripture? He would begin by saying, it is written. Each of those three times he did that were quotes out of the book of Deuteronomy. And so tonight, I want to walk with you through some beautiful thoughts that he offers to us. And, and I hope that it leaves you and I uh, more in love with God, with the writings of Deuteronomy, and in that, with a greater appreciation that God has spoken. He loves us enough that he speaks to us and that that word is recorded and it is truth and we should treasure it. And so we jump in, we looked at parts of the first chapter this morning. I'd like to show you something of interest at the last part of the third chapter. Isn't it interesting that in the first chapter that that first generation that was out in the wilderness wondering, they had to die off because of their lack of, of belief. It was because of their unbelief that we read this morning that they literally died so that the younger generation could enter after 40 years. And isn't it interesting also that Moses was told that he was not going to be allowed to enter the promised land either because he also did not obey God's command. You remember at one point the people were thirsty and God told Moses to go out and to strike the rock and he'd bring forth water and he did. At a later date, God told Moses in order to bring water forth to go out and to speak to the rock. And Moses instead went out and it appeared that he was giving himself an heir and credit. Must we bring forth water to you? And it was in that kind of arrogance that he disobeyed God. And instead of speaking to the rock, as God said, he struck the rock again. And God told him, he brought forth water so that people could live. But he told him, you'll not be allowed to enter the promised land. Well, you know how children are. When that time comes, Moses wants to know, God, could I talk you into it anyway? And so now this time has come. And, and if you look back at 23, he said, I pleaded with the Lord at that time. This is Deuteronomy 3 saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness, your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty hand? I pray. Let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Parents, can you relate to that? And so then he was told to go up on the mountain. He'd be showed him what he was missing out on and then he could pass away. And instead of having an earthly promised land, Moses was going to immediately be granted entrance into the other side that would give him one day the eternal promised land. But again, isn't it interesting that right out of the first chapter, we see how important it is to trust God and obey him. And that's why that generation did not have interest in 
and they died out in the wilderness. And now we come to the third chapter and it's a very similar lesson where Moses is begging, let me go in. No, you disobeyed and there's consequences for that. And so now Moses turns his attention to that present generation and whether or not they're going to succeed in the conquest and whether or not they're going to succeed as a nation. And it all really is based upon, can they get the next few verses correct? Let's read the fourth chapter, verse one. Now, listen, if there's ever a time to serve God for you and I, it's now. If that was a time for them to serve God, it was at that present time. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and to the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I commanded you and take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. I'd like for you to go back and just look at a few of those words. Isn't it interesting that he said, listen, the word of God must be heard. We must take time to open it and read it and listen to God. Imagine setting down and having a talk with God. And all we did was just talk and talk and talk. And God say, pause. I want to say something. I want you to listen to me. That's the opportunity we have every time we open the Holy Word of God is to listen to God. He said, I want you to listen to the statutes and the judgments. God has given his precepts. He's given the law. And that word judgment is the idea that it carries with it consequences that are toward judgment. What will we do with the judgments of God? Will we ignore them? We can't ignore them eternally because we'll stand on the day of judgment and give an answer to what we did. Did we listen to the statutes and the judgments of God? But I would like for you to notice that they never were written to be handed as a moral code to the children of Israel absent of relationship. Notice, he didn't say, I'm writing all this down, here it is, there's no need for me to say anything. Here it is. Instead, he says, which I teach, I teach you to observe. Moses looked at the law of God as something that must become educational. Leaders have always had the responsibility to teach the law of God. And it is to be application. Teach them to observe. It's the responsibility of elderships to teach congregations to observe the will of God. It's the responsibility of teachers to teach children and adults the will of God and how that is applied into their life. It is the responsibility of parents to teach their children what the law is and how that applies to life. We're gonna come right back to this in a moment, but I'd like for you to flip over just a page in your Bible to the sixth chapter. Now I want you to keep in mind this idea of teaching. 
And oftentimes, I think we jump too late into this passage to get the depth of where this needs to start. We could jump in right at seven where it's talking about teaching your children diligently. But I want you to notice where this comes from. We're in the sixth chapter in verse two, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments. See how the emphasis over and over is whether or not you're going to fear God, awesome reverence. Are you going to keep his statutes and his commandments? And who? You and your sons and your grandsons. You see, he's already putting responsibility for this to be passed on in generations. In verse three, therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it. In other words, the will of God has always been meant to apply to our lives, that it may be well with you. God's word obeyed is always for our blessing. When God tells us not to do something, it's so that it will be well with us. When God tells us to do something, it's so that it will be well for us. God doesn't just ask things of us because I am God and I can make you do it. He asks us to do things because he loves us. We are his children. He wants what is best. He wants what is well with us. That you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. You see, Israel was the only nation whose constitution, a nation whose constitution was the word of God. And so for them, it wasn't just a spiritual issue. It was also a civic issue, an issue of their nation as to whether or not it would stand. Verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Isn't that interesting how he talks about love with all your heart and have the commandments of God in your heart. There's no contradiction anytime we talk about the law of God and the love of God. Those should be deep within our heart. Verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise up you see when we jump to verse 7 alone we miss the important part of what that means by application in verse 7 when he says I want you to teach these commandments to your children what does he mean when he says, as, as you, you sit and as you go on your way and as you lie down and as you rise up? Brethren, that's the application. Why? Why is that the application? Because when you start reading from verse two and down, the mother and father that is doing this, they're living that. Their life is devoted to keeping the commandments of God. They love God with all their heart and soul. And so that devotion that they already have to love God with all of their being, to be a, a husband and a wife, a mother and a father, committed to obeying God. And then what do they do? They turn and in education, they teach their child, but they teach their child to observe by the way they live it out. Listen, you want to teach your child how to use 
good language? You can teach them and should and must teach them what the Lord teaches about speech that edifies. But the most powerful part is going to be when your life that is dedicated to the Lord only portrays speech that edifies. And when we sit in our house and we go on our way and when we lie down at night and we rise up in the morning, our children see and hear us constantly living God's will. We are passing down to the next generation the commandments and the love for God. And so when we back up a page again and we see how is he going to begin with this generation? What is he going to plead for them to do? He's going to plead for them to listen, the fourth chapter in verse one, to the statutes and the judgments of God because they need to be taught and they need to be observed. Why? So that they could live. Let's think about what that means to live. Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, Deuteronomy 28. If you do not know this passage, I encourage you to go back and read this this week. Deuteronomy 28, verse one is an opposite parallel of 15. Here's how verse one reads. Now it shall come to pass, and big word here, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, you see, it's obeying the voice, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And verses three through about five, we see the blessings of prosperity that the nation's gonna have and seven, they're gonna see safety. And we also see Verses that deal with how nature is going to be a blessing to them. The power of God is going to be a blessing in 12 and 13. We see even their relationship with God and with others in 9, 10, and 11 are going to be blessed. These are all blessings if they keep the commandments. But now notice verse 15 is just the opposite. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all of his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then... He gives a very lengthy list. The first part of this list is diseases that they will encounter as a nation. And then natural disasters in 23 and following. In 27 and following, attacks upon the mind and the body. And then even losses of crops and businesses in 38 through about 48. And then also in 49... We see that they will have cruel enemies that will overtake them and they will be in such difficult situations in 56 that they will practice cannibalism. And then they will be in exile and dispersion in about 60 or 61 all the way to the end. Now, if you want something that is just interest how all of these scriptures tie together, you may remember we read this this morning. Remember he told them that they would not have to see Egypt again. Well, if they do not obey they very well may see Egypt again. Look in verse 68. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. By the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Can you imagine how pitiful life was for them? when they reach this point, to be taken back as slaves to Egypt, but no one would buy them. 
How do you discard a slave that has absolutely no worth? In the early part of Israel's life, they obeyed God and all these blessings came true. In the latter part of Israel's life, they disobeyed God and every one of these curses came true. Again, I know, I know it seems that we're overemphasizing this perhaps, but what was the difference? When they chose to believe and obey God, they were blessed. When they chose to disobey God and have a life of a lack of belief, they suffered the consequences for it. We must realize the simple, powerful plea where the book of Deuteronomy is saying, trust God. When he asks you to do something, trust him enough to do it. Have enough fear and reverence for God that you would do anything that he asks. Love God enough that you would do what he asks. Love your children enough that you would point them in a direction of life that they would do what God would ask of them and they too would have that same relationship. We go back to our text in the fourth chapter in verse two where he says, do not add to the word. And he also said, nor take from it. That reminds us of Revelation, the 22nd chapter, the last, almost the last few verses of, of the book of Revelation. Now, as we think of this, he's simply saying, when God has spoken, don't supplement it and don't reduce it. It's that simple. If we truly respect God, we don't add and we do not reduce what he says. And so that's the plea that he's making with these individuals. Now, you say, well, does that mean that they're going to get out those two tablets and, and they're going to take some kind of, of stone or tool and they're gonna hammer away and they're going to try to take out one of the commandments. Now, there are people that literally do try to change the word of God. But you know that more often people leave the writing as it is written. And what they do is they change it in their lives. And so he gives an example of that in the third verse here. Still Deuteronomy 4. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal at Peor. Now, what is he talking about here? Numbers, the 25th chapter, verse one through five, we see that there was a large number of Israelite men that went probably under the, the disguise or under the practice, if you will, of, of a religion. They went over to the Moabite women and they committed adultery with them. And God was infuriated. And so he sent punishment, what we would think of in form of a plague, and immediately 24,000 Israelite men's life was executed. That's what he's talking about here. Now I want you to notice again that the point is God destroyed them because they changed the word of God in their life. God clearly stated in the Ten Commandments to not commit adultery. And they went out and by their behavior, their behavior was against the will of God. This next week, 
will you add or take away from the Word of God? Or will your life's conduct prove that you respect God and leave His Word holy as it is written, which in turn will make our life holy like our God? That is the beauty of God's will. His will is to help us grow in the characteristics and the attributes of the giver of the law himself. And so the plea in verse four, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Now the children of Israel, there were 24,000 that died because they did not obey the law of God. But he turns around and he says, look at those of you here are alive today. You know why you're alive today? You held to the word of the Lord. You didn't fall for that. The generation older than them. We already went over this in the first chapter. Why are they not here today? And Moses made it very clear. They're not here today because they didn't hold to the will of God. Do you see how this is the constant plea in a very eloquent and beautiful way? And so now we say the sixth chapter that we've already looked at is about taking this will and making sure that we perpetuate it to the generations to come. As you're flipping over the sixth chapter to the eighth chapter, I want to just remind you of how important it is in our physical families and our church family to make sure that we're always perpetuating the will of God. If you haven't told your Bible class teachers that teach your children lately how much you love and appreciate them. I want to encourage you to take the time this week to let them know how much you appreciate them doing one of the most important jobs that anyone could ever do. And it's taking the will of God and handing it to the next generation. As parents, we have that responsibility. As a church family, we have that responsibility. And listen, we cannot fail at this. It's too important. It's too important. There's nothing of greater importance that our life is involved in. We must succeed in passing down the Word of God to the next generation. And we must do so in a way to impress upon them that they must succeed in passing it to the next generation also. And so it brings us to the eighth chapter. What would stop people from being devoted to God and to his word? If we had time to read most of the first half of the eighth chapter, what we would read about is that these people that had been slaves and then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years are now going to finally have what would be luxury to them. They're not gonna be in tents and his slave quarters. They're gonna have nice houses when, when they conquest into Canaan and they take fortified cities and they're gonna have hillsides with iron in the stone and copper in the hills. They're gonna have cattle. They're gonna have vineyards. They're gonna be able to sit down at tables of long feast. They're going to be able to live in luxury like they had never lived in their life. As we read this next passage, I want you to think with me about, it threw me off, that clock is wrong, that messes with my mind. Uh, I, I, want, I want you to think about the, the parable of the four souls. 
And you remember the third soil, the seed was what? It was the Word of God. And that third soil, it grew a beautiful plant apparently, but it also was rich enough soil that it was able to grow a lot of thicket, thorns, like a thicket. And he identifies what are those that's choking out the Word of God. And you remember, it was the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. That is exactly what Moses is warning against in Deuteronomy 8. You know the law of God. You love God. You're going to go over and there is going to be a competition for your heart. And, and notice how this reads here in verse 9 in Deuteronomy 8. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of the hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, when you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. How? By not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And he talks about their herds growing and they lift up their eyes and, and look in verse 17, they become arrogant. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand, I have gained this wealth. Now notice back at the end of verse 10, it was God who gave them this, but now they're claiming it. And he says, and you, verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers in this day. Then it shall be that if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. What are you going to do this week? I would say every one of us here are this wealthy. These individuals have been living, waiting each day for bread. And they're going to go into a land where their cupboards are full. They don't have to wait each day for God to bring the bread. They've been living in tents, Wearing the same shoes, God miraculously didn't let them wear out. Forty years they wore the same shoes, ladies. <laughs> They're going to go into a land. For all we know, it may have had walk-in closets. From tents to nice houses. From manna and quail to feast from nomads, wilderness wandering, slaves, to owning your own land, being your own nation. You would think they would get up every day and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. But that's not our human nature. Our human nature is before long we say, look what I've gotten. It's the power of my hand. What I want you to see, you've read it. We've, you've read all of this. We've read it together. It's not just forgetting God. It is. 
But did you notice he always ties it back to forgetting God and his commandments. When we live a life of submission, we remain humble. We stand in awe of God. We lift him up. We submit to him. We trust him. We obey him. And we thank him. And when we stop lifting God up in awe, we stop obeying him. And when we stop obeying him, we stop submitting to him. And when we stop submitting to him, we have changed the order. And we really think we're the ones that's gotten all of this. And God says, I can just stop protecting you. I can stop giving to you. I can remind you who's really in control of all of this. Today, I don't know how we could say it more often, more clearly. I'm not saying that in our minds God just becomes a set of laws, not anything like that. As a matter of fact, if you, we don't have time, but if, if you want to go back and read something just, again, just beautiful, mark in your Bible Deuteronomy 10 and read the few verses 12 and on. It's the essence of the law. I, I, let's just read it. Let's close with this. Notice the essence of the law, verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? This is 10 and verse 12. What does the Lord your God require of you? But that you fear the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. See, he doesn't want shallow living. He doesn't want you to do it. Well, it's just because I'm obeying a command. God says, I want you to love me. I want you to love my word. I want you to serve because you're serving me. And notice the rest. And to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. That's the essence of the law. It's powerful because it's about a relationship with God. It's about loving God and serving God and obeying his commandments because his commandments are the word of God. And so tonight, the next time we're tempted to complain, let's remember that somewhere we're not trusting God. Next time we're about to take the car that we're going home in for granted, Let's pause and remember that it's God who gave us everything, including the next breath that we will take. Let's reverence Him, lift Him up, and submit to Him in obedience. And when that truly is our heart, we will love to open His book and listen. As Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. If you're ready to become a Christian or to be restored,